This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Whenever there are appeals for a missing person, they're usually accompanied by some key details. A photograph, a description, a name. Posters can be put up with that information, appeals made through the media. The missing person's phone might be traceable, clues could be unearthed, the trail can be built from the moment they were last seen. But not every missing person search begins this way. The team at Locate International have just begun an official investigation into 22 separate cases where the body of the missing person has been found, but their identity is unknown. Men, women, even children, found but not identified. Every one of them will have family. That family could be searching, looking for clues, putting up those missing posters, not knowing that the very person they're looking for has tragically died and been recovered with no identification. In this episode, we follow Locate as they attempt to solve one such case, the identity of a man we'll call Georgios. And we ask you, the listeners, to join Locate in their quest to bring answers to the 22 unidentified cases on their list. I think there's a real desire and push there within the the missing persons world to try and connect those dots and ensure that if there are any families out there, you know, looking for a loved one, the answer isn't sat in uh, the database somewhere and the dots just haven't been joined. I'm Pandora Sykes and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. This is The Missing. Identifying Georgios. It's the 21st of February, 1979. A man is taking a walk along the coastline on the Isles of Scilly, 40 kilometres off the southern tip of Cornwall. This beautiful but remote island chain is home to around 2,000 people. Most of the islands are uninhabited, covered by heathland and fringed by soft, sandy beaches. In many ways, it's a little slice of paradise, largely forgotten by modern life. We don't know much about the man, where he was heading or where he'd been, but we do know that his walk took him to Porthminnick Beach, where he spotted a body, presumably washed in by the tide. 
Authorities were called. Basic checks were carried out. The body was that of a male and was declared dead. It was transported off the beach and into the care of the local authority. Their first task was to identify the man and inform his next of kin. But there was no identification on his person. The man wasn't carrying anything that could reveal his identity. In the United States, he'd be listed as a John Doe. In the UK at that time, he was simply marked down as unidentified. A description was made. The man believed to be between 40 and 60 years old, white and about five foot four. He was recovered in a blue and white short-sleeved shirt with a woolen Eltex vest underneath. On his right hand was a gold ring. The details were added to a database held centrally in London. Checks were made against any known missing persons, first in the Scilly Isles, then Cornwall, and then further afield. But nothing matched. By the end of 1979, every avenue had been exhausted. Since that date, nothing has been done to try and identify the man or to give him a name, to locate his family. And it's the same for more than 1,000 unidentified bodies currently in the UK. The National Crime Agency operates a website listing every single one, accompanied by the available information. Where the body was found, their approximate age, what they were wearing. But that's it. Emma Tilly is a volunteer investigator with Locate International, and she's heading up a team who want to change that. The topic of unidentified bodies, or John Doe's as some people refer to it, it's really interesting to me because here we are in the 21st century with lots of advancements in technology, etc. And there's over a thousand cases of unidentified bodies that we know of at the moment in the UK. And yet there isn't a joined up approach in terms of how those cases are dealt with, looked at. So there's a real challenge around it. Back in 2020, together with a small team of fellow investigators from Locate, Emma decided to begin the process of opening these cases back up. It's a real uh, touching subject, I think, because I think for all of us as human beings, we hope that, you know, no one will go unidentified in death, but unfortunately it does happen. You think about us as human beings as we go through our lives, we make an impact, we make an imprint, uh, we have loved ones, we have jobs, we have relationships, we have all these different elements to our lives. And to think of someone, um, you know, lying in a morgue or being buried or cremated without a name on the headstone, it is really sad to see, really. Yes, we do believe that with every person, every human being who lies unidentified, there will be someone somewhere, you know, families out there looking for loved ones and the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle haven't matched up. So the more we can develop in this area, the better for everyone. Emma believes that some cases on the list could be solved easily 
just by marrying up the known facts with missing persons reports. I think there's a real desire and push there um, within the, the missing persons world to try and connect those dots and ensure that if there are any families out there um, you know, looking for a loved one, the answer isn't sat in uh, the database somewhere and the dots just haven't been joined. Advances in technology will help too. From DNA technology to a better understanding of tides and advances in pathology, science will no doubt be able to answer more questions about when or how these individuals died. More clues that could help to identify who they are. And communication will help too. Records have been digitised. Details can be cross-referenced. Facts can be checked. The answers, perhaps, a little easier to come by. There will be so many people out there who, since the day their loved one went missing, have lived in a state of um, complicated grief in which they can't move on because they don't have answers. Um, it affects that person financially, mentally, emotionally, in every aspect of their life. And if during our time, um, as human beings, um, fellow human beings, we can get an answer for just one family, then it would all be worth it. It was early in 2020 that Emma embarked on her first case, a test run to see what could be possible. And the case she chose was an unidentified man from the Silly Isles, a 40-year mystery that was now Emma's quest to solve. This man is believed to have been born between the World Wars, mid the World Wars. He's believed to be aged between 40 and 60 years old. He'd been in the water for at least four months when he was found. And it was stated that he was a white gentleman, about five foot four, um, with dark brown, uh, graying hair. But it wasn't the description that first drew Emma to this case. It was a tiny detail buried at the bottom of the report. He wore a gold band believed to be a wedding ring with the inscription, Giorgio and Katrina, 1956. Giorgio and Katrina, 1956. Was it a wedding ring? It was worn on the fourth finger of the man's right hand. Was he, in fact, Giorgio? While it didn't bring any immediate answers, it was a clue that Emma could immediately investigate. I think the first line of inquiry really will be around the marriage records. So can we find any trace of a Giorgio and Katrina married in 1956? Um, first, obviously, looking at the UK records and then going further afield. Because if we can try and um, use that, that, that piece of information, that could really help us, I think. Is there a record in the UK or elsewhere of a marriage between these two names in that particular year, 1956. I think the more we uncover and the more leads we follow, then we can build a picture of who this man was, um, what his life was like, 
what relationships did he have, um, what job did he have, for example. And I think we really start to build the memory of that man and hopefully in the end get some answers and, and give a family out there um, some answers. That was in the summer of 2020. Emma and her team went away to begin their research. They put out an appeal for members of the public and they scoured the searchable lists of weddings to try and find a match. Three weeks later, we caught up with Emma again. So with the wedding uh, records, we've looked through um, the UK wedding records and although there isn't a Giorgio and Katrina who were married in 1956, there are variations of those names. For example, Georgios and Katerina uh, who were married in 1956. So we're pursuing each of those lines of inquiry. I think there's around three to five possible matches of uh, marriages with similar names in 1956 in the UK. And we're pursuing those um, to try and uh, find out and identify whether they could be uh, the couple that we're looking for here. Um, the issue that we have around this is due to the passage of time, uh, we don't have confirmation of how the inscription of the ring was in, in, in you know, verbatim because um, the ring, unfortunately, with time, we, we haven't been able to locate it Without knowing exactly how that inscription was written a letter for letter, um, we, we won't know around um, the, the marriage records which one's the exact one. So we're going to look into each of the similar variants uh, to make sure we can look into them and then discount them if, if, it, if it's not who we think we're looking for. Nothing in this search is simple. But the team knew that the UK isn't the only place to search for clues. The names, Giorgio and Katrina, sound as though they could be from overseas. The Mediterranean, perhaps. Or Eastern Europe. So the search for marriage records went out there too. With each country holding different types of records in different ways, the search will be long and painstaking. Although it's time-consuming, you know, we're willing to wait and we'll just take this time to pursue other lines of inquiry that we can on this case. It could be that the answer to this case lies in an archive, you know, we don't know where, but somewhere right now the answer could be lying there for us to discover. I would absolutely love um, to find out who Giorgio is and to give that answer to those family members or loved ones or friends out there um, to say this is where Giorgio is and this is what happened to Giorgio and give the, the family those answers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A 
Another line of inquiry was the clothing Giorgio was found wearing, the blue and white shirt and the vest underneath. This was Emma back on that first interview. We will follow up every lead that we can. Um, for example, looking at things such as um, the woolen Altex vest. Can we get in contact with that company, find out in the 1970s, who did they distribute to, in what countries, etc. From these tiny beginnings, a manufacturer of a vest, Emma hoped that clues might emerge. And sure enough, it was the clothing, rather than the ring, which did provide a first possible breakthrough. Several members of the public have approached us and said that a woolen vest being worn underneath a shirt is something that a man who worked upon a ship would wear. Um, so all of this really helpful information um, that's helping us to build a picture of how, um, how this death might have occurred. So members of the public gave us quite a bit of um, information around uh, accidents, um, ship accidents that had happened in the months leading up um, to uh, the find of, of the body, who we presume is Giorgio. Some of these accidents are not listed anywhere on, on the internet. Um, so it's from people's own knowledge, specialist knowledge, uh, that they were willing to pass over to us, um, that we can now start to um, make those contacts uh, with the uh, shipping companies companies and find out do they have lists of who went overboard in those accidents and who wasn't recovered. Um, so that is a, a, our line of inquiry that we are following um, and we're in the process of contacting those different companies from those different accidents and these are German ships, these are Greek ships, um, lots of different ships from around uh, Europe um, that we're looking into and trying to find uh, um, and identify lists of those who were lost at sea. Their research has also shown that other bodies in different years had washed up on the isles after disasters at sea. The tides can and sometimes do bring bodies to those islands. So could it be that Giorgio was the victim of an accident at sea? Or is there another explanation? Sadly, the case of Giorgio isn't unique. In October 1985, Brendan Dowley set off from his home in Ireland for Britain. He was heading to London, a change of scene for the 63-year-old. But when he didn't get in touch weeks later, his family grew concerned. There would be no more trace and no more sighting. Brendan was registered as missing, his details added to databases and lists, but nothing came of it. That was until 2018, when experts revisited an unidentified body washed up in Wales, just a month after Brendan had gone missing. A DNA test proved a one-in-a-million match. Brendan's body had been recovered just a few weeks after he likely went into the sea during the ferry crossing from Ireland. But the tests had never been done at the time, and no connection made to the missing persons report. Brendan's son, Alan, now a former police officer himself, understands how it happened, but is calling for more joined-up thinking 
and a DNA database that could help connect many more unidentified bodies with their families. It could help hundreds of families end their period of not knowing. Earlier, the team investigating the unidentified body known as Giorgio were finding out whether the ring could hold some answers, and perhaps marriage records would reveal all. But the handful of records in the UK of a Giorgio and Katrina married in 1956 proved not to be helpful. With international searches drawing a blank, the team have been trying to find out what exactly the ring was inscribed with and in what language. One of our key lines of inquiry at the moment um, is to locate the officers who deciphered the ring. Um, so we know um, from the limited details we have that um, the ring uh, wasn't deciphered at inquest and the inquest took place uh, a few months after Giorgio was found. We had a breakthrough recently in which a member of the public had found an article from 1982 uh, in the Salonian magazine, which is the magazine for the Isles of Scilly residents. A brief passage in that 1982 issue stated that the ring was inscribed in Greek language. Um, so that is a real breakthrough for us because we didn't know what language the inscription was written in. Uh, now we know, we have confirmation that it was in Greek. So the ring actually says Georgios and is written in Greek. The net is gradually closing in and a focus will now fall on Greek nationals, Greek ships that may have been involved in accidents or ships with Greek crew. One thing that Emma didn't know was the last resting place of missing Georgios, as she told us at the start of the search. Within the UK, there isn't a set procedure as to where unidentified bodies are uh, buried or cremated. Um, so we're in contact with the coroner's office um, to find out where um, Giorgio, who we suspect to be Giorgio, is. So then there's another line of inquiry there because there's some possibility that we could do some analysis on the remains um, and look into DNA. DNA analysis could unlock all sorts of new information, even from a body that's been buried since the 1970s. Tests could reveal which part of the world the man came from. It's an expensive but potentially game-changing development. I think that will be a real key moment there uh, where we can establish, if we can establish uh, perhaps an area of where this man lived or where he was from, that will help us so much in um, looking at our inquiry and, and really refining what community we really need to appeal to. Um, because right now it is difficult to know from which community um, Giorgio uh, lived grew up in, um, made his life in. Um, so the more answers we can get around that, the closer I think we'll get to the answers. And four months after making the inquiry, Emma excitedly told us she had some good news. So we've had a breakthrough. 
One of the responses we were waiting on was the from a burials officer uh, in the Cornwall area, and we've had the news today that they have located paper record um, in their grave uh, records, um, which are written handwritten uh, from years ago. They've located an unidentified male that was found um, deceased on the 21st of February 1979 and who was buried in the March. Uh, so that is who we believe to be Giorgio um, and the details are handwritten in the book uh, suggesting that he was found on Porthmanic Beach which is what we have uh, in the information also. Um, so we know the grave number, we know the cemetery. Georgios was given a simple funeral and is buried in a marked grave in Penzance, Cornwall. He has a final resting place. For me, it's a real big relief now that at least we know his resting place um, so that if we do get to the point that we're all hoping for, um, that we, do, we are able to identify Giorgio, then at least we can reunite any remaining loved ones, family members, um, with him and where he's, where he's buried currently in the UK. So it's a real great moment for us and the team and everyone's quite excited about the next steps. DNA tests are on hold while other inquiries are carried out. The team don't want to disturb the remains without good cause. And away from the UK, the search is gathering momentum. Αυτή η νύχτα, φίλοι μου, είναι για το τούνελ αποκαλυπτική. Συγγενεί και φίλοι του οδηγού σχολικού λεωφορείου στα Βρυλίσια. One of the main theories that the team have been working on is that Georgios died after an accident at sea. And with the suspicion that he's Greek, the search for possible incidents has been narrowed. In the few months prior to Georgios body being found, two particular shipping accidents were of interest due to the crews being Greek um, and the location of uh, where those accidents occurred being within a relatively good distance to the site where um, Georgios body washed ashore. Through searching newspapers, through uh, searching databases internationally in Greece, we managed to obtain a list of the crew members in both of those incidents, both of which had Georgios or Georgios on board. So we then, due to the age of Giorgio being estimated between 40 to 60, eliminated some of those Giorgios and focused on one particular man called Georgios Kotsis, who was 45 years old. Because we focused on this particular man who uh, was aboard Andros Patria, which was a tanker uh, which unfortunately got into an accident on New Year's Eve 1978, uh, just off the coast of northwest Spain. We then wanted to appeal to locate his family. Um, so we managed to get an appeal featured in Greece's most widely read newspaper, Katharamini. And we also managed to get our appeal featured in a television programme in Greece called Light in the Tunnel, uh, which is kind of a 
δίνουν νέα σημαντικά στοιχεία και θα έλεγα ότι αυτό το puzzle του μυστηρίου σιγά σιγά ολοκληρώνεται. Incredibly, the family of Georgios Kotsis, the man Emma had identified as perishing at sea, were watching the program, and they got in touch. The family have given us various uh, details around their loved one. The height was similar, and the shirt uh, in which Georgio was found in, which was blue and white, uh, two-tone shirt, Uh, the family sent us a photo of their Giorgio wearing a blue and white two-tone shirt, um, something that he would often uh, wear. The ring was of interest to them because his sister is uh, Katrina. So I think the family were, you know, understandably uh, felt emotional uh, about the appeal. And um, after thinking and giving it consideration, decided to get in touch. This was by far the biggest breakthrough in the search. But one detail jarred. The initial report in 1979 suggested the man was aged between 40 and 60. And the Georgios that Emma had specifically appealed for in Greek media involved in the shipping accident was 45. Or so they thought. Unfortunately, the newspapers at the time had misprinted uh, their Giorgio's age. Um, so he is, in fact, a lot younger. He's, he was 25 when he was lost at sea. Um, but despite this discrepancy, we will still continue to progress the inquiry with this particular family um, in order to eliminate their, their loved one from the inquiry. In the coming weeks, the team hope to extract a DNA sample that will allow them to compare it to the Greek family and any others who come forward. It will allow them to give definitive answers. And it's something they hope all unidentified cases can do in future. A DNA database that will allow them all to be tracked and compared to missing reports. But for now, the search for Georgios' family continues. It feels like we're incredibly close. We have uh, plans in the next week or two to conduct some follow-up um, media appeals in Greece uh, via the contacts we've made at, at the various newspapers and um, on, on that, the TV programme that I mentioned. We are very much focused on the Greek community and trying to identify and find uh, the family of somebody who lost a loved one in 1978, 1979, uh, who was married to a Katrina or similar name, perhaps, uh, in 1956. It will mean a lot to me. It will mean a lot to the organisation, um, Locate International as a whole, to be able to um, solve this case for the central reason that we would like to give Giorgio his name back. We would like to give his family a place where they can come and visit. And, and pay their respects and, and say a proper goodbye that unfortunately they weren't able to give at the time. And it's a search you can help with. The team are in need for specialist help and volunteers to progress not just this case, but the 22 others which they've decided to open up for review. So Locate have um, recently 
released a list of 22 unidentified cases, um, each which has its own individual um, circumstances, um, such as this case, uh, Giorgio and Katrina 1956. So 22 cases that we are focused on reviewing over the next two year period in order to give them the attention they much, much deserve and to ensure that everything that can be done has been done or will be done in those cases. They are detailed on Locate International's website, which is www.locate.international. So members of the public are encouraged to read through those, um, have a think about possible lines of inquiry, have a think about areas um, that due to the passage of time, we might be, tap, be able to tap into different communities. You know, time has moved on uh, at our hands. We have things such as Facebook and Twitter where we can easily reach people um, that we couldn't do uh, before many decades ago. So we would encourage members of the public to get involved. Um, members of the public have been instrumental to the progress in the Georgia and Katrina case. Um, and there's a real sense of care, of warmth, of people wanting to solve these cases and give people their names back. Um, so I would encourage people to take a look and, and if they do have enough time uh, to, to apply, um, to get in touch and apply for uh, the role of volunteer at Locate. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.